Welcome beyond our focus. I'm Stefan, this is Amanda, and this is Let's Palaver About Wizard and Glass. We are in the fourth novel of the Dark Tower saga, written by Stephen King. We are in the second part. Tenth? Is this the tenth chapter? Yes. Yeah, tenth chapter. Back to my beginning of the tenth chapter. There we go. Tenth chapter. Bird and bear and hare and fish. Hare. Not generally the way you would uh, write that out. No. <laughs> but totally how it is. It would be like bird, bear, hare, and fish. A lot this of ands. Literally should just actually be called the birds and the bees for this chapter. I mean, that wouldn't be, that would uh, <laughs> fiddle right along too. There is a bird. There's no bee in this, unfortunately. There's a hare and... Just saying. The I bird, mean, there's a stream, there might be fish in there. The birds and the bees, just call it that for this, this chapter. That's all this chapter is. <laughs> About the only thing that actually happens in this chapter. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. The most important day of Susan Delgado's life, the day upon which her life turned like a stone upon a pivot, came about two weeks after her moonlit tour of the oil patch with Roland. Dun, dun, dun. Then on a day between the passing of Peddler's Moon and the rise of Huntress... Ka finally came and blew her away, house and barn and all. It began with someone at the door. Which was, dun dun dun, Maria! Who, no one has any reason to know who that is. Yeah, so we've seen, we've heard of Maria a couple times, it's her maid. Did we? Yes, yes we have. I'll take your word on it, I don't remember yes. Maria at all. Um, it's her maid from Thorin's house, Thorin's estate. Whatever you want to call it. Um, she came to let her know that one of her dresses, the second, I think it's the dress for the second day of the reap. Yeah. The, well, it's the second outfit. Yes, the second outfit for the re the silk mint for luncheon at Mayor's house and the conversational afterward was ruined. Run! And that Maria was in trouble for it. So, she needed... She she pretty much needed Susan to come with her immediately so that she could be fitted for a new dress. Because otherwise everything would fall apart. The whole, whole, whole town would fall apart. Yes. Mm. The blue dress with beads. It's so crazy that she has an outfit for every meal for this day, okay? <laughs> She has the blue dress for lunch, the white dress for breakfast. I'm just concerned at this point. Mm. Then we get to the next page, we find out that it was uh, the mayor's dog that ended up doing this. Yes, the ba they blamed it on raccoons or some sort of animal sneaking in through the window and eating it. But everybody knows it was the dog. They're just not saying it. Because it's the mayor's dog. Yes. Couldn't have been him. Not possible. But then, 
we get a short break of they're laughing, having fun, and now suddenly Cordelia is looking out the window at Susan, who has coming home from her adventure. And it's, 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 Susan doesn't look very happy. <laughs> Yeah, this little intermission, which I just... Bleh. Yeah, it was just <laughs> pretty much just... Cordelia sees that Susan is angry and is pretty much thinking to herself, you better not have... You better not have Miss O so young and pretty. Not at this late day. You better not have. So pretty much, you better not have caused any sort of trouble with Thorin otherwise. She's convinced she's going to. Yes. So Susan comes in, and Cordelia is trying to remain calm. She's trying to hide the fact that she just is anxious and angry, and it's just like, so, what happened? So, nothing, something, but nothing, but kind of something, but... Pretty much, it says, uh... Susan turned to her. Turned to whore? Yeah, that's good. She has, though. <laughs> Susan turned to her. Cordelia Delgado, just sitting there in her rocker, calm as a stone. In that moment, Susan felt she could fly at her aunt and claw her thin, self-righteous face to strings, screaming, This is your fault. Yours. All yours. She felt soiled. No, that wasn't strong enough. She felt filthy. And nothing had really happened. In a way, that was the horror of it. Nothing had really happened yet. Not yet. So she goes, we, we hop back into the room where Susan is being fitted for this new dress again. The blue dress with yeah. bees was to be replaced with pink dress with a plique. A plique. What is a plique? I don't know. What Female. It is. What is a plique? What? <laughs> um, I don't know what it is in this one. Usually, I don't know the definition of a plique, but when I think of a plique, it's something that's pretty much just added on. Like they have lace that gets put on. They have, um, like I've seen iron-on patches called a plique. So, like decorative iron-on stuff. Just stuff that's added to the dress. But I don't know the actual definition of a plique. I just know that's how you say it. I love how you just... I, I mean, think I know. I'm not wearing any dresses with a plique on them. <laughs> and you're the only other person here. Leaf, please tell me. Oh, Leaf. Are you in a plique? <laughs> Could you be one? you're sewn onto a dress, could you technically be considered an athlete? Anyways. You knew more than I did. Let's just go with that. I, and that was a thrown out guess, guys. All you seamstresses can just get angry in the comments. But it says uh, So she's sitting there being measured and Conchetta, I assume? This, the seamstress or seam... Yeah. Yes. Who I assume is a guy? Well, it says she, I thought. Well, yeah, some she, of the terminology didn't make I, it seem like know. a she. Because it just keeps calling her Conchetta, so... Or him Conchetta. Um, because they specifically go into how Conchetta had never been interested in her. I don't know, because I don't know if it really even... 
So I don't know if it actually did. Does it say she? Nope, nope. Yep. Susan was hardly aware she was gone. But still, some of the terminology. Yeah. I mean, it very, in my opinion, like it was a guy who did all the the dresses and everything. Susan over blade faced Conchetta Morgenstern, the chief seamstress. Um, but I don't know. It could be either or, I guess. Mm. No, it is a she. Because it says, And then Conchetta stepped back, stepped back into the room. The swatch of clothes she'd gone after was draped around her shoulders like a stole. I see, like right here. Susan did as she was bid, standing barefoot in the cool little room with her arms crossed over her bosom. Not that Conchetta, or Conchetta had ever shown the slightest interest in what she had, back or front, above or below. It could be either. So it's just, I don't know. I don't know. It just makes it seem like it's a guy. It could just be yes. But. Anyways. Conchetta has left the room because she has, they have to go get a piece of fabric or something. And Susan has drifted off into her mind. She's just been standing there for a long time. So she starts thinking of Roland off in the field with him. Spending happy times just being around each other. Mm-hmm. And next thing you know, she's being felt up. She doesn't really realize it. And then she does realize it and flips out. But doesn't really do anything. It's not like she like, <laughs> She just sort of... She mentions that Rhea said they can't do anything till yeah. a certain time. But mm-hmm. the mayor yeah. does not he, care. He is ready to go. He does not care what Rhea says. And she's just like, you can't do this. So he's like, just stand still. It'll be over soon. To which he mm. pretty much just dry humps her. Yeah. You mustn't. This is hardly the place. And, and not yet the time. Rhea said, balls to her and all witches. Yeah. So, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so he gets off on her and then just goes blank faced. Like, he's like, huh? Huh? Are you the police? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> to which then um, he, like, she, of course, is traumatized. She's trying to hold back tears. And he just stares at her. And then it's like... And just walks out. And then slams into somebody, apologizes to them, and then runs away. And... Conchetta comes back in, and Susan's pretty much just like... Hmm. She'll say nothing, Susan thought. None of them will. Just as none of them will lift a finger to help me off the stick I run myself on. Uh, Ye sharpened it yourself, Gilly. They say if I call for help, and that'd be their excuse for leaving me to wriggle. Mm -hmm. But Conchetta had surprised her. Life's hard, Missy. So it is. Best get used to it. All right. Good advice. I mean, so she tells the story to Cord, Aunt Cord, Ugh. and Aunt Cord's just like he dramatized it. Says it's a trait you get from your Manchester side. Half of them fancied themselves poets, the other half fancied themselves painters, and almost all of them spent their nights too drunk to tap dance. 
He grabbed your boobs and gave you a dry hump. That's all. Nothing to be upset over. Certainly nothing to lose sleep over. <laughs> How would you know? Susan asked. It was disrespectful, but she was beyond caring. She thought she'd reach a point where she could bear anything from her aunt except that patronizing, worldly-wise tone of voice. It stung like a fresh scrape. Cordelia raised an eyebrow and spoke without rancor. How ye do love to throw that up to me? Aunt Cord the dry old stick. <laughs> so pretty much she just is pretty much like I've had. I, apparently she's a virgin. I didn't know that. I guess I didn't know that Aunt Cord was a virgin. Oh, but, did they mention that? Yeah, she says, uh, "Well, Miss O, oh, so young and pretty." Oh, he says, Aunt Cord the graying virgin. Aye, well, Miss Oh, so young and pretty. Virgin I might be, but I had a lover or two back when I was young. How old are you, Uncle? <laughs> but it says, uh, I felt old Tom's goat on my backside a time or two, Susan, I, and on my front side as well. <laughs> and were any of these lovers sixty with bad breath and knuckles that cracked and when they squeezed you, Aunt? Did any of them try to push you through the nearest wall when old Tom began to wag his beard and say, ba, ba, ba? And Cord's just like, the deed is done. <laughs> like, okay, okay. You're not getting any sympathy from this woman. Just give up, Susan. In a kind of terror, Susan cried, my father would have hated this, hated it, and hated you for allowing it to happen, for encouraging it to happen. Mayhap, Aunt Cord said, and that awful smile winked at her again. Mayhap so, and the only thing he'd hate more? The dishonor of a broken promise, the shame of a faithless child. He would want thee to go on with it, Susan. No, he wouldn't. If thee would remember his face, thee must go on with it. Susan looked at her, mouth drawn down in a trembling arc, eyes feel filling with tears again. I've met someone I love. That was what she would have told her if she could. Don't you understand how that changes things? I've met someone I love. But if Aunt Cord had been the sort of person to whom she could have said such a thing, Susan would likely never have been impaled on the stick to begin with. So she turned and stumbled from the house without saying anything, her streaming eyes blurring her vision and filling the late summer world with her rueful color. So she grabs a horse and whoo! goes off to her place by the river. Or is it, is it a river or a stream? Oh, it's a stream. My bad. Mm. Stream. She wept above the brook, and when she heard the sound of snapping branch, of a snapping branch, uh, she start, uh, started and looked back over her shoulder in terror. And Chagrin? I can never say that word, but yes. Chagrin? Chagrin, I think. Uh, this was her secret place, and she didn't want to be found here. Especially, especially not when she was bawling like a kitty, who had fallen and bumped her head. Another branch snapped. Someone was here, all right, invading her secret place at the worst possible time. Go away! She screamed in a tear-clotted voice she barely recognized. Go away, whoever you are. Be decent and leave me alone. But the figure she could... Now see it. Kept coming. When she saw who it was, 
She at first thought that Will Dearborn, Roland, she thought, was his real name. Is Roland. Is Roland. Good old Roland. Must be a figment of her overstrained imagination. She wasn't entirely sure he was real until he knelt and put his arms around her. Then she hugged him and panically tightened. How did you know I was here? Or I was. Saw you riding across the drop. I was at a place where I go to think sometimes, and I saw you. I wouldn't have followed except I saw you were riding bareback. I thought something might be wrong. I think you would follow no matter what, Roland. Pretty Personally, much. but everything's wrong. Uh, deliberately, with his eyes wide open and serious, he began kissing her cheeks. He had done it several times on both sides of her face before she realized he was kissing her tears away. Then he took her by the shoulders and held her back from him so he could look into her eyes. Say it again and I will, Susan. I don't know if that's a promise or a warning or both at the same time, but say it again and I will. There was no need to ask what he meant. She seemed to feel the ground move beneath her, and later she would think that for the first and only time in her life, she actually felt Ka, a wind that came not from the sky but from the earth. It has come to me after all, she thought. My Ka... For good or ill. Roland? Yes, Susan. If you love me, then love me. I, lady, I will. And then. <laughs> yes. So Ka happens twice. <clears throat> twice. Um, but after the first time, I mean, they. She. They're just laying there and she goes, Roland? Yes. Will he take care of me? Yes. I can't go to him when the time comes. I can bear his touching and his little thefts. If you, if I have you, I can. But I can't go to him on reap night. I don't know if I've forgotten the face of my father or not, but I cannot be to Hartthorne's bed. There are ways the loss of a vir girl's virginity can be concealed. I think, but I won't use them. I simply cannot go to his bed. All right, he said. Good. And then, as her eyes widened in startlement, he looked around. No one was there. He looked back at Susan, fully awake now. What? What is it? I might already be carrying your child, she said. Has thee thought of that? <laughs> he hadn't. Now he did. Wasn't upside by it, by no means. <laughs> if you carry my child, such is my good fortune, he said, and mine. We're too young, I suppose. Little more than kitties ourselves. So, pretty much. And then... I'll do my best. Never doubt it. But for now, Susan, you must go on as you have been. There's more time yet to pass. I know that because De Pape is back and will have told his tale. But they still haven't moved in any way against us. Whatever he found out, Jonas still thinks it's an... In it's in his interest to wait. That's apt to make him more dangerous when he does move. But for now, it's still castles. But after the reaping bonfire, Thorin, you'll never go back to his bed. That you can count on. I set my warrant on it. And then Ka happens again. Good old Ka. Just... This is not the, the Ka Ka that Eddie <laughs> talks about. This is a different Ka. Yeah. Um, ooh, okay, so we, I did miss something. 
right uh, before she asks him if he would take care of her, he said that he had been trouble. He had trouble sleeping, and says, "Oh yeah, this was understandable. The strain on him that summer had been enormous, and he had been sleeping badly. Although he didn't know it then, he would sleep badly for the rest of his life." Yes, I actually have that note too. Yeah. But we totally we both skipped, <laughs> but. Because, yeah, that's like, yeah, nice little thing. There we go, yeah. Go to Roland. You'll never sleep well again. No, no. Wonderful. And we know you're about 2,000 years old or something, but. I forgot that there was something. I feel like there was another world. Yep. Um, On the page previous to that, when he says, I, lady, I will, says he unbuttoned a shirt made in a part of Midworld she would never see. Yes. And it's like, oh, the freaking foreshadowings that we can get. Well, even before that, it said, Ka had taken, uh, this is the first time and only time Ka will ever take, had yeah. taken and did what it did. Yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah, it's the only time. A lot of foreshadowing here. Yes, they she they pretty much lay down together and drift off holding hands. Well, it says um, Roland also felt himself drifting. It was ironic, he thought. This time she hadn't had the sensation of being watched, but the second time he had. Yet he would have sworn there was no one there or no one near this grove. No matter the feeling, Megrin, sure or reality. Was gone now. He took Susan's sail and felt it slip naturally through his, entwining. He closed his eyes. Yes. And so now he felt like they were being watched. And sure enough, we go back to Rhea, sitting there, spying on them, doing the hokey pokey, which didn't interest her at all. She's and, seen plenty of this. Yes. What she was interested in was what would come after the hokey pokey. And then once again, we get reminded that she did the instruction thingy with Susan telling her she needed to do something. Um, and it says, They were last done, for the time being at least. They clasped hands and drifted off to sleep. Now, Rhea murmured, Now, my little one, be a good girl and do as you were told. As of hearing her, Susan's eyes opened, but there was nothing in them. They woke and slept at the same time. Rhea saw her gently pull her hand free of the boys. She sat up, bare breasts against bare thigh, and looked around. She got to her feet. That was when Musty, the six-legged cat, jumped into Rhea's lap, wowing for either food or affection. The old woman shrieked with surprise, and the wizard's glass at once went dark, puffed out like a candle. Rhea shrieked again, this time with rage, and seized the cat before it could flee. She hurled it across the room into the fireplace. That was a dead hole, as only a summer fireplace can be, but when Rhea cast a bony, misshapen hand at it, a yellow gust of flame rose from the single half-charred log lying there. Musty screamed and fled from the hearth with his eyes wide and his split tail smoking like an indifferently butted cigar. Run, I, Rhea spattered after him. Begone, ye vile cusk. So yes, she's very serious about this little pink ball. She does uh -huh. not give a damn about her animals anymore. 
She really care about anything. She only cares about the pink ball. Ermont's probably still just slithering around somewhere. If it's not dead. Yeah, if it's not dead, exactly. The cat hadn't tried to eat it yet. So she tried to get the thing to work, and it wouldn't work. Says, no images appeared. This was bitterly disappointing, but there was nothing to be done. And in time, she would be able to see the results with her own two natural eyes if she cared to go to town and do so. Everybody would be able to see. There's no way Ray's going to town. She sees more than what she needs to see in that her little pink ball. Yes. And she just doesn't like people, so. And people don't like her. Probably good reasons. Uh, only moments before he would have sunk into deep, into deep in sleep to have heard it. A warning bell went off in Roland's mind. Perhaps it was just a faint realization that her hand was no longer entwined with his. Perhaps... It was raw intuition. He could have ignored that faint bell, and almost did, but in the end, his training was too strong. He came up from the threshold of real sleep, fighting his way back to clarity, as a diver kicks for the surface of the quarry. It was hard at first, but became easier. He neared wakefulness. His alarm grew. He opened his eyes and looked to his left. Susan was no longer there. He sat up, looked to his right, and saw nothing above the cut of the stream. Yet he felt she was in that direction all the same. Susan? No response. He got up, looked at his pants, and corked a visitor he never had expected in such a remote, rom- whew, romantic bower as this spoke up gruffy in his mind. No time, maggot. Uh, he walked naked to the bank and looked down. Susan was there all right. Also naked. Her back to him, she had unbraided her hair. It hung loose, gold, almost all the way to the lyre, leer of her hips. The chill air raising from the surface in the stream, shivering the tips of it like mist. She was down on one knee at the edge of the running water. One arm was plunged into it almost to the elbow. She searched for something, it seemed. Susan! No answer. And now a cold thought came to him. She's been infected by a demon. <laughs> you know, only explanation. Yeah. Not that he's incredibly wrong, but still an interesting first thought. She's not answering me. Demon! It's, it is a weird thing to just jump to. Like, most people, oh, she's sleepwalking. Nope, nope, it's demons. It's a demon. Witch! She's a witch! While I slept, heedless beside her, she's been infested by a demon. Yet he did not think he really believed that. If there had been a demon near this clearing, he would have felt it. Likely both of them would have felt it. The horses, too. But something was wrong with her. She brought an object from the stream bed and held it before her eyes in her dripping hand. A stone. She examined it, then tossed it back. Plunk. She reached in again, head bent, two sheaves of her hair now actually floating in the water, the stream prankishly tugging them in the direction it flowed. Susan! No response. She plucked another stone of the stream. This one was a triangular white quartz shattered into a shape that was almost like the head of a spear. Susan tilted her head to the left and took a sheaf of her hair in her hand, like a woman who means to comb out a nest of tangles. But there was no comb, only the rock with its sharp edge, and for a moment longer, Roland remained on the bank, frozen with horror. 
sure that she meant to cut her own throat out of shame and guilt over what they'd done. In the weeks to come, he was haunted by a clear knowledge. If it had been her throat she'd intended, he wouldn't have been in time to stop her. Then the paralysis broke, and he hurled himself down the bank, unmindful of the sharp stones that gouged the soles of his feet. Before he reached her, she had already used the edge of the quartz to cut off part of the golden tress she held. Roland seized her wrist and pulled it back. He could see her face clearly now. What could have been mistaken for serenity from the top of the bank now looked like what it really was. Vac vacuity. Emptiness. When he took hold of her, the smoothness of her face was replaced by a dim and fretful smile. Her mouth quivered as if she felt distant pain, and an almost formless sound of negation came from her mouth. Mm. Some of her hair she had cut off lay on her thigh like gold wire. Most of it had fallen into a stream bed and been carried away. Susan pulled against Roland's hand, trying to get the sharp edge back to her hair, wanting to continue her mad barbering. The two of them strove together like arm wrestlers in a barroom contest, and Susan was winning. He was physically the stronger, but not stronger than the enchantment which held her. Little by little, the white triangle of quartz moved back toward her hanging hair. Hanging hair. That frightening sound mm, kept drifting from her mouth. Susan, stop it! Wake up! Her bare arm quivering visibly in the air, the muscles bunched like hard little rocks, and the quartz moving closer and closer to her hair her cheek, the socket of her eye. Without thinking about it, it was the way he always acted most successfully. Roland moved his face close to the side of hers, giving up in another four, giving up another four inches to the fist holding the stone in order to do it. He put his lips against the cup of her ear and then clucked his tongue against the roof of his mouth. Clucked side mouth, in fact. Susan jerked back from that sound, which must have gone through her head like a spear. Her eyelids fluttered rapidly, and the pressure she was exerting against Roland's grip eased a little. He took the chance and twisted her wrist. Ow! Ow! The stone flew out of her opening hand and splashed into the water. Susan gazed at him, now fully awake, her eyes filled with tears and bewilderment. She was rubbing her wrist, which Roland thought was likely to swell. Ye hurt me, Roland! Why did ye hurt— She trailed off, looking around. Now, not just her face, but the whole set of her body expressed bewilderment. She moved to cover herself with her hands, then realized they were still alone and dropped them to her sides. She glanced over her shoulder at the footprints, all of them bare, leading down the bank. How did I get down here? she asked. Did they carry me after I fell asleep? And why did they hurt me? Oh, Roland, I love thee. Why did he hurt me? He picked up the strands of hair that still lay on her thigh and held them in front of her. You had a stone with a sharp edge. You were trying to cut yourself with it, and you didn't want to stop. I hurt you because I was scared. I'm just glad I didn't break your wrist. At least, I don't think I did. Roland took it and rotated it gently in either direction, listening for the grate of small bones. He heard nothing, and the wrist turned freely. As Susan watched, stunned and confused, he raised it to his lips and kissed the inner part. So, you gone crazy. <laughs> Demon! So he went back to his horse, and he pulled one of the rawhide ties, reached inside the blanket, and pulled out a small metal box. 
This he opened with a tiny key he drew from around his neck. Inside the box was a small square locket on a fine silver chain. Inside the locket was a line was a line drawing of his mother and a handful of extra shells. Not quite a dozen. He took one, closed it in his fist, and went back to Susan. She looked at him with wide, frightened eyes. Hmm. I wonder what Roland does with one shell <laughs> that we've seen or read about. I don't know how many times at this point. Hmm. Even as a kid, he knows how to do things. Uh, Roland had an idea. If hair was a woman's vanity, then hair chopping would likely be a woman's bit of nastiness. A man would hardly think of it at all. The mayor's wife, had it been her, he thought not... It seemed more likely that Rhea, up there on her high, on her height of land, looking north toward the bad grass hanging rock in Eyeball Canyon, and set the ugly trap. Mayor Thorne had been meant to wake up on the morning after the reaping, a hangover and a bald-headed gilly. Susan, can I try something? She gave him a smile. Something ye didn't try already up yonder? Aye. Okay, so, you guys sleep together twice. She almost cuts her hair off and her face. And you think y'all are going to go at it again right now? Yes. That's that's, that, that's the apparent thought. Okay. Well. There's no other explanation. Let's do it again. Nothing like that. He opened the hand he had held closed, showing the shell. I want to try and find out who did this to you and why. And other things, too. He just didn't know what they were yet. And then, of course, he does his little woo. Mm-hmm. Where did you learn that? At home. It doesn't matter. Ye'd hypnotize me? Mm-hmm. Aye. And I don't think it would be for, for the first time. He made the shell dance a bit faster. Now east along his rippling knuckles. Now west. May I? Aye, she said. If you can. Yeah, he can. He can. No, trust, trust me. This is going to work perfectly fine. He could all right. The speed with which she went under confirmed that this had happened to Susan before and recently, yet he couldn't get what he wanted from her. She was perfectly cooperative, some sleep-eager, Court would have said, but beyond a certain point she would not go. It wasn't decorum or modesty either. As she slept open-eyed before the stream, she told him in a far-off but calm voice about the old woman's examination and the way Rhea had tried to fiddle her up. At this, Roland's fist clenched so tightly his nails bit into his palms. But there came a point where she could go, could no longer remember. She and Rhea had gone to the door of the hut, Susan said, and there they stood with the kissing moon shining down on their faces. The old woman had been touching her hair, Susan remembered that much. The touch revolted her, especially after the witch's previous touches, but Susan had been unable to do anything about it. Arms too heavy to raise, tongue too heavy to speak. She could only stand there while the witch whispered in her ear. What? Roland asked. What did she whisper? I don't know, Susan said. The rest is pink. Pink? What do you mean? Pink, she repeated. She sounded almost amused, as if she believed Roland was being deliberately dense. She says, I lovely, just so. It's a good girl you are. Then everything's pink. Pink and bright. Bright. I, like the moon. And then... She paused. 
Then I think it becomes the moon, the kissing moon mayhap, a bright pink kissing moon, as round and as full as a grapefruit. He tried other ways into her memory with no success. Every path tri he tried ended in that bright pinkness, first obscuring her recollection and then coalesc coalescing into a full moon. It meant nothing to Roland. He'd heard of blue moons, but never pink ones. The only thing of which he was sure was that the old woman had given Susan a powerful command to forget. You consider taking her deeper, but without the safety of someone else there that fixed things in case he did something wrong, he chose not to. Hmm. All other considerations aside, it was getting late. It wouldn't be prudent to stay here much longer. Susan... Do you hear me? Aye, Roland, I hear you very well. Good. I'm going to say a rhyme. You'll wake up as I say it. When I'm done, you'll wake you'll you'll be wide awake and remember everything I've said. Do you understand? Aye. Listen. Bird and bear and hare and fish. Give my love her fondest wish. Her smile as she rose to consciousness was one of the most beautiful things he had ever seen. She stretched, then put her arms around his neck and covered his face with kisses. You, 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 she said. You're my fondest wish, Roland. You're my only wish. You and you, forever and ever. If forever is only... <laughs> yeah. <gasps> so, Kai happened again. Because uh... you know Why not? Why not? There really was that third thing he wanted to try. Twenty minutes later, he boosted her onto Felicia's back. Susan leaned down, took his face in her hands, and kissed him soundly. When will I see ye again? she asked. Soon, but we must be careful. Aye, careful as two lovers ever were, I think. Thank mm -hmm. gods, these clever. We can use Shimi if we don't use him too often. Aye, and Roland, do you know the pavilion in Greenheart, close to where they serve tea and cakes and things when the weather's fair? There's a rock wall at the back, she said, between the pavilion and the, I don't know, Minigree, 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 I don't know. If you need me badly. I'll always need you badly, he said. She smiled at his gravity. There's a stone on one of the lower courses, a reddish, reddish one. You'll see it. My friend Amy and I used to leave messages there for each other when we were little girls. I'll look there when I can. Ye do the same. I. Shimi would work for a while if they were careful. The Red Rock might also work for a while if they were careful. But no how, matter how careful they were, they would slip eventually, because the big coffin hunters now probably knew more about Roland and his friends than Roland ever would have wished. But he had to see her, no matter what the risks. If he didn't, he felt he might die, and he only had to look at her to know she felt the same. Watch special for Jonas and the other two, he said. I will. Another kiss, if you favor. Uh, fare ye well, Susan. I love... He paused and smiled. I love thee. And I thee, Roland. What heart I have is yours. Then he went to rush her and rode off in the opposite direction, knowing that a new and dangerous phase of the game had begun. This is where Roland starts making all kinds of mistakes. <gasps> well, you didn't need that knife. No, God no. 
Yep, rolling gun done message. Not too long after Susan and Roland had parted, Cordelia Delgado stepped out into the Hambury Mercantile with a box of groceries and a troubled mind. The troubled mind was caused by Susan, of course. Always Susan. And Cordelia's fear that the girl would do something stupid before the reaping finally came around. Too late. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a smidge too late about the stupidness. Those thoughts were snatched out of her mind just as hands, strong ones, snatched the box of groceries from her arms. Cordelia cawed in surprise, shaded her eyes against the sun, and saw Eldred Jonas standing there between the bear and turtle totems, smiling at her. His hair, long and white, and beautiful in her opinion, lay over his shoulders. Cordelia felt her heart beat a little faster. She had always been partial to men like Jonas, who could smile and banter their way to the edge of riskiness. But who carried their bodies like blades? I startled you. I cry your pardon, Cordelia. Come on, Jonas has a job to do. Um, blah, 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 blah. They're flirting. He's going to help her with the groceries up the yeah. hill. Uh, asked about how Susan's <sighs> doing. Uh, give her my best, please. I will. But she wouldn't. <laughs> Susan had conceived a great... Get conceived. A great and irrational... Irrational in Cordelia's view. What? Dislike for Mayor Thorne's regulators. Trying to talk to her... Talk her out of these feelings would likely do no good. Young girls thought they knew everything. She glanced at the star-peaked... Oh, she glanced at the star peeking un unobtrusively. Unobtrusively. There we go. And out from beneath the flap of Jonas's vest. Uh, beneath the flap of Jonas's vest. I understand you've taken an additional responsibility in these undeserved uh, in our undeserved town, sighed Jonas. I am helping out Sheriff Avery, he agreed. His voice had a ready little tremble, which Cordelia found quite endearing. Somehow, one of his deputies, Claypole, his name is, Frank Claypole, I, felt out of, fell out of his boat and broke his leg. How do you fall out of a boat and break your leg, Cordelia? She laughed merrily. Anyway, yeah, now Jonas is the sheriff. Or yeah. He's a, a deputy. deputy. Yeah. So good, good for him. Now he's the law. Great. Susan, she called, now enough return to earth for her firmer, former irritation with the girl to sound clear in her voice. Come and help me, for I drop this and break the eggs. Susan came, leaving Felicia to crop grass in the front yard. Ten minutes earlier, Cordelia would have noticed nothing of how the girl looked. Her thoughts had been too wrapped up in Eldritch Jonas to admit much of anything else. Wow. But the hot sun had taken some of the romance out of her head and returned her feet to earth. And as Susan took the box from her, handling it almost as easily as Jonas had done, Cordelia thought she didn't much care for the girl's appearance. Her temper had changed, for one thing, from the half-hysterical confusion in which she left to a pleasant and happy-eyed calmness. That was the Susan of previous years to the sleeve and seam, but not this year's moaning, moody breastfeeder. 
There was nothing else Cordelia could put her finger on except... But there was actually one thing. She reached out and grasped the girl's braid, which looked uncharacteristically unchar sloppy this afternoon. Afternoon. Of course, Susan had been riding. That could explain the mess, but it didn't explain how dark her hair was, as if that bright mass of gold had begun to tarnish. And she jumped, almost guiltily, when she felt Cordelia's touch. Why, pray tell, was that? Your hair's damp, Susan, she said. Have you been swimming somewhere? Nay, I stopped and ducked my head at the pump outside Hookie's barn. He doesn't mind. Tis a deep well he has. It's so hot. Perhaps there'll be a shower later. I hope so. I gave Felicia to drink as well. The girl's eyes were as direct and as candid as ever, but Cordelia thought there was something off in them just the same. She couldn't say what. The idea that Susan might be hiding something large and serious did not immediately cross Cordelia's mind. She would have, ha she would have said her niece was incapable of keeping a secret any greater than a birthday present or a surprise party, and not even such secrets as those for more than a day or two. And yet something was off here. Cordelia dropped her fingers to the collar of the girl's riding shirt. Yet this is dry. I was careful, she said, looking at her aunt with a puzzled eye. Dirt sticks worse to a wet shirt. You taught me that, aunt. Ye flinched when I touched your hair, Susan. Aye, Susan said, so I did. The weird woman touched it just that same way. I haven't liked it since. Now may I take these groceries in and get my horse out of the hot sun? Don't be pert, Susan. Yet the edginess in her niece's voice actually eased her in the same, in some strange way. That feeling that Susan had changed somehow, that feeling of offness, began to subside. Then don't be tiresome. Susan, apologize to me. Screw you, Aunt. Yeah. Susan took a deep breath, held it, then let it out. Yes, Aunt, I do. But it's hot. Aye. Put those in the pantry, and thank you. Susan went on toward the house with the box in her arms. When the girl had had enough of lead... Oh, of a love... Wow, I'm a... Wee! When the girl had enough of a lead so they wouldn't have wa have to walk together, Cordelia followed... When she had enough lead, <laughs> it was all foolishness on her part, no doubt. Suspicions brought on by her flirtation with Eldred. But the girl was at a dangerous age and much depended on her good behavior over the next seven weeks. After that, she would be Thorin's problem. But until then, she was Cordelia's. Cordelia thought that, in the end, Susan would be true to her promise. But until Reaping Fair, she would, be, she would bear close watching. About such matters as a girl's virginity, it was best to be vigilant. Too late. Just it's, Cordelia is it such is too damn late. a pain. She is such a pain. Oh my god, her hair's damp. Oh, why'd you flinch? Oh! This woman... But is, your shirt's not wet! This woman is just like... Like she's investigating a murder and exactly. Susan's the suspect. It's literally like... I am selling you to this man, and I need you to stay perfect. Okay? Exactly. You are the new shiny car, and nothing can happen to you before I sell you. Mm-hmm. So just wait till that day. They're getting the money ready. Just wait. Don't go anywhere. Just wait. <sighs> Gotta hate Cordelia. I hate her so much. All right. Next time, we'll be going over interlude... And 
Uh, part three, come read. Chapter one, Beneath the Huntress Moon. All the way to chapter two, The Girl of the Window. That's a lot of words. Yeah, yeah there's a lot going on here. Interlude, Kansas Somewhere Some Win, Part 3, Come Reap, Chapter 1, Beneath the Hunter's Moon. So we're hopping back to that weird thing where we're talking about chapters. The chapters are about to start over again. Yeah, well, we did it once. It's a little weird. Now we're doing it again. Yes. Because we're in, we're in Part 3. Part 3, Chapter, chapter one. 1. Starting back at Chapter 1 again. But before that is a little interlude where we get to meet with the gang again. Yep. And I do like the end of this book. We go back to the gang fully, yeah. and we have a whole actually what I find to be one of the more interesting parts of the book. Yeah. So, this is not that many pages. No. It was pretty. Yeah, it was literally three pages. Yeah, three pages plus. Let's see, forty-one to thirteen. That's gonna be like sixteen pages altogether. Yay! So, no lot. But I'm sure there'll be enough to discuss in yeah. this, this particular chapter. I think I think we're getting closer to that the the areas where no matter how small the chapters get, there's going to be a lot to. I hope. Yeah. <sighs> well, that happened. Yes. Uh. <laughs> so officially. 100% Ka has swept through and they're screwed. Yeah. Love has, Seven weeks. Love has sent the arrow straight into the heart. Yeah. We'll get the... There'll be a whole... There's lots of information to happen ahead. And a lot more rolling and Susan because yeah, that's Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they're lovers. They're new lovers... They've, they're no longer bound by the promise anymore. Oh, the promise. So she's officially given up on that. So he's like, okay, so young lovers are going to sneak out whenever they can. And just hope they don't get caught. Ruined. Man, you make some mistakes here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Ah, it is what it is, though. Hope you enjoyed. Uh, leave a comment down below. Let us know what you thought of the chapter. Throw a like on the video, subscribe to the channel. We'd all appreciate all that. You can contact subscribe. us wherever. But uh, see, all the ways you can reach me at Stars Untraveled, Rich Amanda, KZ Pup. Hair's getting more poofy, I think. It is. Episode. It really is. <laughs> it's just, I can't help it. My hair is so frizzy. <laughs> and, <laughs> and the warmer it gets in here, the more it's getting. And if I touch it in any way, so. <laughs> yeah, that's where, where yeah. it's going. Yeah. Rich Show and Beyond Our Focus, anywhere, including YouTube and podcast services around. It's a globe. Maybe. <coughs> Maybe. In the pink brightness. Everything is pink. Pink. That sounded really bad. Never is mind. Not, my favorite not color. The, not in the pink brightness, okay? Let's just not go. Pink. Because I just ain't no other. We're doing pink. outro. When I turn out the lights. It's a good song, okay? It's a good song, okay? <laughs> Go listen to Pink. Or go listen to Pink by Aerosmith. Or just go listen to Pink. Go listen to Pink, too. Great. I like Pink. Pink's cool. I like cool. Pink. And Aerosmith. So. And Aerosmith. They're both good. <laughs> They're both great. I have no issues with either of them. Um, wow. We just, we have separation issues, okay? We we got we miss you guys so much, we can't say goodbye. That is what it is. But, till next time, long days and pleasant nights.